traveled the world and took over the resources in the 1500s when they chartered it. Their flag, too, if you look at the flag, was the red, white, and blue with the stripes, with the stars on the left-hand side. Very interesting thing to look at when you wonder where the capital of commerce is today. You will find that there's nothing new under the sun. Get ready for Real Talk Radio. You're listening to the National Intel Report with your host, John Statmiller. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watfillian for John Statmiller, and I've been talking about a little bit of the past and the present, which is leading to a very different future. And it's a difference, really, that scares the people because between an age when they change society according to the role of society, and we don't think of society really as having a role. In fact, we're not really taught to think very much about it, just accept it. We're taught that you're born into a system that just happens to be here by chance, therefore it must be natural. But it's, there's nothing, there's nothing uh, of the kind involved with that. That the future is always planned by very big think tanks. And if you go into the, even the, the British system, and look at their long-term plans and goals, you'll find uh, in the days of Francis Bacon and before Bacon, uh, they were making plans for a global empire based, based on commerce and free trade. This was written about by John Dee, who was an advisor to Queen Elizabeth I at the court, and this was the first openly Rosicrucian court to, uh, to come out in the open as such, with all of the members, the top members being Rosicrucians, uh, the Rosy Cross, as they say, uh, the precursors of what we now know as lower Freemasonry. John Dee coined the term that the Brightish Empire and proposed to the Queen that, that Britain should lay the, the foundations towards a global empire based on free trade with members who would join uh, getting special benefits uh, with, with uh, regards to import and export duties to the same countries, a conglomeration of countries. Those who went in uh, feet first and joined Britain would be given special status of, uh, of uh, um, especially most favored nation status, as they called it back then. Uh, this is the same status we've all given China under the present free trade negotiations. So we're looking at something that's hundreds of years old. John Dee also said that in his day, and Francis Bacon confirmed this in his writing, uh, they were creating a new language for the future. Uh, this is the language of business, which is English worldwide, and that it would be used by every country in the world with regards to commerce. When you read these books, which are not reprints or the actual original books, and you find they are genuine and very old, you have to stop and say to yourself, how many generations have, have lived since then not knowing that they're living through an intergenerational plan, a business plan, to, con to conglomerate the whole world society and standardize the planet under a central bank? 
planet is supposed to conform to the system. And if you've noticed over the last 15, 20 years, all the little loopholes that allowed someone to live independently outside of the system have been closed gradually. Now they're speeding up. In fact, there's very few, if any, left at all. And one day, you'd probably need a permit to even have a garden of vegetables because you'd be classed as antisocial, trying to feed yourself. You're supposed to be interdependent on the entire system for all your needs. And that is how China is today. China is the model state, according to the United Nations, for the entire planet to copy, to follow. At the moment, this whole war of terror... And that's what it is. It's a war of terror or a reign of terror. It's training a generation who, who remember those guys who are joining the military today at 18. Uh, they were only about 11 years old when 9-11 happened in 2001. The ones who, who are four or five now are going to grow up never knowing that there was any previous type of system or any previous time when when people had individual rights as such, and that laws had to go through certain formulas and procedures before they could just grab someone and lock them away. They will take all of this as being normal because no one is around to tell them otherwise. They're also taught at school not to listen to people who are older, including their parents, because they're old-fashioned, set in their ways, and they're just not trendy enough. This is what they're looking for. It's a generation who've never known anything to do with individual freedom and rights. The old days of uh, movies with the, the lone cowboy that would ride into town to clean it up are gone. Now it's all collective, if you notice. The television shows on detective stories and all the fictional works that you watch is all to do with teamwork. Teamwork is, is the name of the game. Are you part of the team? They're trained in school, in, in a group psychology type forum, where individual opinion is shunned by the group until you conform to the group's decisions, the, the mass opinion, and then you're accepted again. This was all laid out in the 1920s by school experimenters such as Lord Bertrand Russell, who was given special permits by the British Crown to try different types of experimental schools where they could create this very type of society, including uh, sexual freedom, as they called it, uh, from the 1800s onwards. This sexual freedom would also promote promiscuity prior to puberty, if possible, because they found that children who went into this very early uh, were unlikely to have a permanent mate later in life, the idea being that they could destroy the family unit, the last vestige of the tribe, and when the family unit is gone, then the government, just like George Orwell's 1984, would have no one standing around you when, it, when the government wanted to talk to you, no family, no friends, everyone would look away and you'd be on your own. Uh, this is to make the individual feel helpless and powerless, and as I say, this was written about in detail in old books, still probably in the libraries, that no one bothers to read except those who are trained to work in today's present think tanks. The think tanks uh, that are 
given ideas and parts of the social agenda and who have to make it work through marketing it into your heads via television, radio, and all the media and magazines. That's how we get our thoughts. They're induced thoughts. Most opinions people come to today uh, are evaluated on the data that you've been given about certain topics. If you're not given all the data, you can never come to the, to the right conclusion. You will think you have because you think you have all the data. The reality is you're given bits and pieces like bits and bytes of the computer information. You change whole pictures, whole vistas by simply withholding little bits of the truth to give faulty conclusions. And the, the conclusions we're coming to are predetermined. Predetermined conclusions worked out with the problems by top psychologists. The best brains in the world, in their fields, are always taken out through scholarships and brought up to very high levels very quickly and put into think tanks to work for the, the government that Carl Quigley talked about, uh, the mentor of Bill Clinton, the man who picked students to be Rhodes Scholars for global government, Quigley said that in the 1960s when he wrote his book, Tragedy and Hope, and the Anglo-American establishment, both are must-reads. He said that in his day, this parallel government had already been in existence for at least 60 years. So we're talking about the very beginning of the 1900s. He said the reason it came into existence was because there were too many conflicting opinions and viewpoints by too many conflicting groups to get things done efficiently. This is the same explanation given by the Club of Rome, one of the top think tanks which is put out there to, to, to find ways to manipulate your psychology, to manipulate your beliefs, to bring in even a form of earth worship, nature worship, so that you will obey the new laws when you realize you're just another creature walking the planet with no special rights and no higher than any other animal. That's part of their agenda. We, we have channels like the History Channel, which is very good at distorting history through emotion as well. And if you notice, school children are getting lots of videos to watch on nature and so on. And even people's types dramas to show them psychology. But it's always the worst negative type you could possibly have with bad families. These are, these are emotive um, indoctrinations. You imprint an idea into a brain or a mind when you attach emotion to a particular visual scene. But once these imprints are there, it's very, very difficult to show a person another way about a particular subject. They're fixed in their belief system on that particular topic, and they might even become violent if you go near that topic and show them any other way. That's where we are today. Conflict is used by the elite and always has been used to change society. Now, Professor Quigley said, war's main reason, apart from the booty and the looting, the main reason for war is to change society, all societies of all sides. Because you 
five years of war by government methods with growing bureaucracies that take rights and freedoms away than you can with 50 years of peace. I'll be back in a few moments after I think these messages. I heard a little bit of music in the background there. National Intel Report, the real talk radio show, only on the Republic Broadcasting Network. Allegory within a story for the high ones to understand. Uh, 
but it was to set off a whole, a whole sequence of events beginning in 2001 and ending with the second one, 2010. In 2010, his second book, a new sun is born in the sky, another sun, and as above, so below, you have a new type of human that will come forward on earth, plus we have the unification of the Americas to be completed by 2010. That was discussed, discussed as far back as the 1980s with the free trade negotiations before NAFTA came along, as was the new capital of the Americas. And at that time, they had talked about making it Montreal in Canada. It's quite amazing when these big events are taking place that we have all these minor distractions to do with uh, some murderer uh, generally involving sex because people are, uh, seem to be tremendously addicted to the nitty-gritty, nasty stuff of violence and sex, as Hollywood can certainly testify. And so they give us big stories like that or, or a Michael Jackson with his latest scandal and how much it's going to cost them to get out of it. These are the sort of topics that captivate the minds of the general public when we're sailing through some of the biggest changes, these illegal takeovers, you might say, that we're faced with. At the moment, with the war on terror or war of terror on the public, everyone is being trained that this is a long haul. This is to take maybe a hundred years to complete now, what do they mean by a hundred years to get this war over with? It's not just a war to standardize the Middle East. That's part of it. It's not just a war to raise a generation in all of the, the countries of the Middle East who will then accept this strange term called democracy, the biggest con game I've ever heard of. It's also a, a war to change what we even think of ourselves as being from human to cyborg a purpose-made ideal design, ID. That's what it means, ID is also ideal design. The ideal design being a purpose-made creature to serve the system better, a creature that will cause no conflicts or problems for their masters because you'll be programmed efficiently by computers. That's what they're talking about. The whole movement in the 60s and 70s to do with lesbianism that led the charge for rights for women and the same lesbian groups straight enough led the rights for homosexual males they led the vanguard they helped create it all we're not allowed to do so because the big boys liked them at all I'll be back in a minute to finish this part off and explain myself further You're tuned in to the National Intel Report, the real talk radio show. Hello, I'm Alan Watts, standing in for John Stadmiller. And before that break there, I was talking about how groups are funded and led and used always for different purposes than those involved in the groups think they're being used for. Because it was decided long ago they would have to destroy everything that was thought of as being normal to 
bring in a new world order, a new system, a new culture, a new global society, a global society which would go through one of its phases before the final phase of chipping in the brain uh, and accept that, that collectively they were one. This is why the, the New Age was taught to preach this oneness doctrine uh, as far back as, as the late 1880s. The, the groups used were always what they called the fringe groups, and top psychologists know this, so I'm not really telling them anything new at all. You use the fringe groups to alter a society for your own ends and not for the particular members of the groups themselves. So people are used one after another and played off against each other to, get a, to reach a goal, like a game of chess, and they don't even know they're on the chessboard and that someone else has rigged the game. The idea, as I say, being uh, that any idea of normalcy, what was normalcy before it all began, was what they call the traditional family. And I'm not saying the traditional family was a happy lot either. Most were not, even back in the 50s and the 40s. They were dysfunctional. They had already become dysfunctional, not nearly so bad as they are today. It's difficult for anyone, male or female, to get through this life today without massive indoctrination and all of the ads that, that hit you per day from billboards, magazines, television and radio, uh, the whole thing being to make you feel uh, unsatisfied with everything. That's how things are sold. First you must dissatisfy the person and offer the solution. The solution, of course, is always the lie. But back in the 1900s, early 1900s, 1920s and 30s, they brought Madison Avenue in, the big marketing companies, to work with the with the, the special agencies, the agencies that became eventually the CIA in the U.S. and MI6 and MI5 in Britain. Ideas are marketed right into our brains, but the idea again of using fringe groups of dissatisfied groups was to send leaders out to get them organized and to network together towards a goal which sounded like to them utopia, but in fact was meant to remove what was thought of, even though it was mainly a memory at the time of normalcy. Once you have nothing to compare anything to as being normal, then you're in flux. Your life, your, 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 your emotions, your, you're not fixed or grounded, you're in flux. And when you're in flux and the whole society is in flux, you can move rapidly with a new type of culture planned from the top and marketed to the people. And that's where we are today. We're going through tremendous changes, uh, not just globally, but individually. The children who come up through school today, if you ask them about certain topics, will give you such strange answers, strange to people born in a previous time. Yet all their peer group, the, the children of their own age, will have the same pat answers to tell you, because that's what they're taught in school. All down through the ages, different groups are taught to come into conflict with each other. The racial issue has been used for thousands of years in other countries. Religious differences are also used to the fullest extreme. And neither conflicting side ever achieves what they thought they'd achieve because it's always the third party that guides both of them. 
and trainers at the same time to obey, obey, obey and have body cavity searches at airports and stuff like this uh, that were being uh, dehumanized. When you accept dehumanization, uh, then you lose confidence in yourself. You become almost a non-person. You do what you're told, obedience to authority. So that's where we are today. Will this improve? No, it won't until the public themselves say enough is enough. We have the choice today of going along with this, and it's a creeping cancer. It's everywhere. It's all across the world. The same system, the same agenda has been written into law in every country across the whole planet because it was coordinated before 9-11 to do so. But we have the choice today of saying no to all of this. Enough is enough. And then when we say no, we have to, for the first time, perhaps, maybe the first time in thousands of years, and start asking ourselves, what is life all about? What is the purpose of life? Are we just good consumers and producers, as the United Nations calls the perfect citizen? Or is there something more to life than just this? We've all been trained to be consumers, just like you train rats in the laboratory. You can train a rat in a laboratory cage to pull a lever for its seed. Then you make it do all sorts of weird and fantastic things, and it goes back and pulls a lever again. Well, that's what we do as wage slaves. We go out to accumulate and to produce and consume, and we reward ourselves at the end of the month with some toy made in China that breaks in a month or two. That's what we're doing. We're trained to be very, very selfish. We're trained, in fact, to be dissociative with each other. And, and in a dissociative state, we ignore each other. As we ignore each other, we become dehumanized and we're easier to control by those in charge. Now, for the next hour and 20 minutes or so, I can take calls anyone who wants to call in about their own experiences going through this life what they've seen themselves and the questions they've asked perhaps and maybe we can fill in some of the answers the agenda as I say has, is very old there's lots of books out there on it Jack's Atali is a very good book to read it's called Millennium Winners and Losers in the Coming New World Order he talks about uh, the influx from South America or Latin America of millions of immigrants looking for work and the good life as they think it will be. He also talks about the mayhem it would cause at this particular time. But he also talks about uh, people leaving en masse from the United States as the new boat people looking for work abroad. If we follow Europe, see what Europe has done already, you'll find that the creme de la creme, the brightest children and students from all countries in Europe, can apply for jobs anywhere in Europe, but they must leave home. The rest are left behind where they are and basically written off to the low-level jobs. The low-level jobs are just service economies. 
nothing is produced. Everything is brought into the country through middlemen and, uh, and, and others and then passed around to other sellers all the way down the line. It's not meant to last forever. North America has gone into this incredible service economy. Pretty well everyone is listening today has lived through the transfer of all major industries to China. It didn't happen by chance. We all lived through it. We lived through the negotiations. We lived through the GATT Treaty that enabled it to happen. We all heard of the factories pulling up stakes and moving, yet no one asked the questions as why. Today we think it's quite natural that everything is produced in China. When you realize that nothing on that level can take place without massive planning for maybe 50, 60 years, then you start to get a, a bigger picture, a different picture of what's really going on. Bureaucracies don't work quickly. It takes them years to formulate all the written material and have negotiations and then act, interact with their counterparts in other countries, never mind the stacks of lawyers they have to deal with, and then back to the drawing board again. In the 1930s, in 1937 to be exact, when the Council on Foreign Relations and the Royal Institute of International Affairs had its international meeting in Melbourne, Australia, they discussed the setting up of China into its present-day position as the manufacturer of the world. Well, how come the public were never consulted on any of this? Well, the reason is we've never had freedom, just illusions. That's all we've been fed. The media is there to entertain you and to mislead you and to keep children happy. And we are all the children regardless of our age groups. That's what the media is for. We're not supposed to concern ourselves with such weighty matters. We've been taught and trained to leave it to the big experts. Russell said the same thing again back in the 1950s, that they'll train everyone not to have an opinion, but to listen to experts. In regards to you're watching the weather station or anything else, they always bring on some expert to tell you how to tie your shoelaces or what clothes to wear or, or what you should wear that day for the weather. Look, as though we're children. And guess what? It's actually working with a lot of people. They cannot think or reason for themselves. Zygmunt Brzezinski said that in his book, Between Two Ages, he said shortly the public will be unable to come to a rational decision by themselves. They're being trained to repeat their downloads from the previous night's news, and that's all they'll be able to talk about the next day to their friends. That's where we are today. The people expect the media to do the reasoning for them. That's perfect for a tyrant. You couldn't ask for a better society of trained children, children who want to perpetually play 
forever and have all the free time they can and leave all the, the weighty matters to your superiors or as in Britain who are taught to say our betters. That's what we have today. And we gave up all our rights and all our ability to think and decide. We gave it all away quietly without even yelling. That's how slick this scientific system is. We didn't even notice it happening. At least most didn't. In all mammal society, a mammal born will look to his parent, one or other of his parents, for signs of danger, or it should be aware of, uh, the creatures it should be wary of. If the parent doesn't know, the young mammal won't question anything and it'll go right up to its enemy that will then eat it. It's the same with people. Children who are born into a particular time expect their parents to tell them all the major things they should know what to be wary of. If the parents have been indoctrinated into an ignorant bliss and don't know to tell the children, the children think the system as it stands is quite natural. When you understand that, you understand how this system is working so easily. There's no one to tell the children that this is not a natural time to live in. There's nothing natural about it. There's nothing natural about everyone having to carry an ID card. Now the ID card has already been carried by children in Europe. They can't get on a bus without it. Or a taxi. They're taught even in their fictional dramas on television. They always slip in and take your ID card with you, son. That's how they're training them. This ID card is the same ID card coming out in the U.S. shortly. And Britain, which uses the same card too, has already admitted that the space on it for all your banking because it will eventually be used for the cashless society as part of the total information network. That will happen very easily because people adapted to the card system already, the plastic cards, credit cards, uh, special shopping cards, rapidly to save time, they thought. I first saw this about 10 years ago. I kept out of big supermarkets. I kept away from them. And I had to go to one major one one day. I think you needed roller skates to get around it. It was so huge. And I watched the people at the checkout counters, and every single one of them just swiped a card past this little machine. And I thought, they've been trained like animals, not like rats. Because all you have to do is take the card away and put a chip in their wrist. And they're all, they've already been taught to do the same action. This is how you train animals. And it's known by zoologists. It's known by sociologists and ethnologists. And here we are, all adapting quietly. And why do we adapt? It's because, well, everyone else does. Everyone else does. If you take cash into a store 
banking and I. That's how unusual it is to use cash today. Everyone is ready by using the cashless system already for their ID card to be used with a credit system. Step by step by step training, perpetual training. In the 1940s, there was a bishop, the Archbishop of Canterbury in England. He was called the Red Bishop. I'll be back in half of these coming messages to tell you about this Red Archbishop of Canterbury. Then they're obviously crazy. But we're supposed 
supposed to think this is what you wanted all your this was what was missing in your life. All these ridiculous ads that we're so used to and accustomed to in this consumerist society. Consumerism is based on creating dissatisfaction, not satisfaction. If we were all satisfied, we'd be quite happy with everything we've already bought. And the system would fall apart. And you've no, no sooner bought the latest gizmo to make you happy and fill that void. And here's another ad telling you, no, this is really what you need, this thing over here. And so you rush out with your cards and buy it, because everyone has to have it. Uh, this is incredible training when you think about it. We're supposed to be the highest creatures on this planet. Supposed to be. They were trained easier than most animals. Why is it so easy? It's because nothing on the planet has been studied as much as mankind itself from the most early ancient times. Nothing. It's only in the last hundred years or two hundred years that we've run to studying the insects and the other animals. Freud himself was a front man for, for this particular agenda. Plato said the public mimic what 
licensed musicians because of tremendous power it could wield over the youth. Today you think it's not licensed, and in a sense it isn't. It's run more efficiently than licensing. You have very powerful people, only a few families to control the whole music industry, and they decide who will be made to be a star and who will not be made to be a star. They decide what music a particular generation is going to hear and what they won't hear. If they want a violent culture, they'll give you a violent music. If they want a laid-back culture, they'll give you a laid-back type music. It's all very simple when you run an industry and you run all the recording, the big recording labels. Not difficult at all. If you notice, when they started to give videos, the rap-type videos, the gangster videos, out for the youth to emulate, and they do emulate what they, and, and begin to talk, just like the gangster rappers, and walk like them, and the movements, that's how children mimic. Uh, read Charles, Charles uh, Galton Darwin's book about that too. He said all the public mimic what they see, because we're supposed to be a higher ape, you see. You'll find that they gave the rap music for a generation that was to be very angry and aggressive about everything. This was to tie in with the generation that would get brought up using these video games, these war games, because 20 years from then, they would be going into the military. They wanted a militarized society. These are the guys now donning uniforms and one day might turn their weapons on you. I'll be back after these messages. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt, standing in for John Stadmiller. I've been rambling on here about some of the history, some of the techniques that are used on our minds on a daily basis. Uh, ideas that are really electronically, mainly, pummeled into our minds. And we're so used to it, we're brought up on television. We're weaned on television. And television, as I said many years ago, would be the greatest tool for shaping the minds of the public, and it certainly has been. I think, to be honest with you, we've got to a stage where it's very difficult for most members of the public to tell fact from fiction. I get examples of this every day by people calling me up and asking me about serpent people and reptilian people, or is it written in the stars, and, and all of this kind of stuff. Because well-financed authors are out there putting this kind of material out, and people are believing it. Believing it. And I don't have the patience or time to deprogram them and fill them in on all the facts. But this is where society is today. They're ready to fall for anything. And they are falling for everything. Our weather is manipulated. Look at the treaty that was signed in the 1970s at the United Nations on weather warfare. They didn't sign a treaty of something that was going that, that they didn't have yet. They had it back then. They were perfectly capable of causing, as is written in the treaty, earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, famines, whatever they desired. That's why they wrote the treaty up. They have over 54 
type facilities worldwide. There's a huge one in Alaska and another huge one in Greenland run by the U.S. and another one in Pine Gap, Gap, Australia. They can triangulate these and work together and cover whole continents if they wish. And if anyone cares to look up, look at the skies. We've been sprayed like you spray bugs for the last 10 years solid. I think in the United States we're getting spraying before we even had it in Canada. And then when they, they signed the Open Skies Treaty, and there's two treaties, don't be misled by the commercial one, there are two treaties that were signed, and the Open Sky Treaty is, is, is done in doublespeak, really it's written in doublespeak. If you look at it carefully, you'll be very confused. I try to find out what they mean when they said that foreign pilots can fly your military planes over your countries. It's a Dr. Strangelove policy, as each person's pilots goes to another nation to ensure the spraying is done evenly across the planet. We're being sprayed with a variety of aluminum oxides and barium and other metals to be used in conjunction with harp, but there's also other chemicals involved, possibly even tranquilizers. Donald Rumsfeld himself said on the news in Canada the day after 9-11 that they had vast amounts of aerosolized Valium and Prozac ready to spray over entire cities to stop or allay panic should another big terrorist event occur. And that's when it dawned on me when I started yawning heavily after heavy spraying that my God, they're already doing it. They're doing it. But then if you were the generals and making war on the public, wouldn't you use, use all these covert silent weapons on your target to bring them through the biggest changes they've ever faced in history? Of course you would. It makes perfect sense. And then a few years ago, in the United States papers, they published a report from the Air Force that said in a few years' time, maybe four, they would own the weather. They would own the weather. And they have. The whole weather scam is just another part of their arsenal to make us give up all our rights, to convince us we are the problem. There's just too many of us breathing carbon dioxide and eating the world's resources up. That's what it's all about. And look in to the book put out by the Club of Rome where the founders of this think tank, this prime premier think tank that puts its ideas out to lesser think tanks that then work it into the world, this, this main think tank, this Club of Rome, the authors admit in their own book that they published under the Club of Rome called The First Revolution. They, they admit that they sat around tables wondering how they could unify the world. And they thought of aliens and spacecraft and invasions and from outer space and all this kind of stuff, what would work with the public. And then one of them says, we hit upon the idea that whether man was at war with the world and the weather was, was reacting to him. The weather would be used to convince man that he had to give up his rights and all his freedoms and come together globally. They admitted in their own book. And so 
what is happening as you step up all the freak weather, you'll notice when they spray heavily, storms happen. I'm so used to it, it's predictable. I don't look into the weather station. I don't watch television at all now. I don't have to. I used to only watch it for the weather. Now I just go outside and look at the skies and watch what kind of spraying they're putting in that day. And it'll tell me if it's going to be hot and muggy and humid and everyone's going to be sneezing as this stuff floats down from the sky that they're spraying above you. Or if it's a darker sprays, they're going to cause a storm and I know to get everything that's outside under cover. That's how predictable it all is. We're, we are living, literally, in a big laboratory where we're treated like children. And since I've trained the public to, to wait to be told what's really happening by experts, then true enough, the public will not reason for themselves. Even if you point out the trails above their heads to them, they can't believe you. If it's not on the 6 o'clock news, which is their only reality, they've been trained to believe that, uh, then it doesn't matter what you show them and what they see with their own eyes. Uh, that would be impossible. So they're denying their own perceptions. That's the beauty of mind control. Remember, under mind control, which works perfectly well, if you started on, on youngsters and brought them up into adulthood, people under mind control are the last ones to ever figure out that they are under it, in fact. They will even fight you, maybe even kill you, to retain that illusion. I'm Alan Watt from you see me at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Please look in there and you'll find lots of history on how I've got to this present stage in history. And I give you quotes from the big boys themselves, the big authorized authors that tells you where they're taking us. You can also get free transcript downloads in different languages from my other site, alanwattsentient.sentinel.eu. Make use of them. They are free. And who, who knows how long they'll last? I don't know. After looking at the, the bills that were passed last week on the confiscation of all properties of anyone dissenting against this agenda, then I don't think we'll, we'll have too long to, to continue with this present type of talk. They mean business. If you look at all the laws being passed worldwide, but mainly in the United States, the state is always ahead of everyone else. If they introduce just a fraction of them into reality, not just on paper, it'll be a thousand times worse than Nazi Germany or the Soviet Union. This is the psychopath tyrant's dream, uh, this particular type of society under total, total control. How easily it was given up how easily it was given up. All you have to do is spoil one generation with lots of credit, easy credit, and tell me, dance and play forever as they grow up, never mature, just one generation. And all the battles of the past that people fought for, including the right of privacy, including the rights of privacy and security in your own home, are just washed away so easily hardly a murmur from the public because each one thinks well it won't affect me 
when the big monster starts gnashing its teeth and chomping away, it might start off in the Middle East, but eventually it works in a circle right back to you. And that will happen. Because this war is a war on the whole world. It's a war upon every culture and every people on the planet to change it all under a brand new system, a scientific dictatorship, the same scientifically led dictatorship that Aldo Huxley talks about in his talk at Berkeley University in the 1960s. And I have it on my site if anyone wants to to look in and listen to this man talk. Huxley even cracked some jokes in there. If If you're not intent on listening to what he's saying, you might actually like the man. But here you have a top interbred psychopath calmly talking about a scientific dictatorship being able to rule the world forever. He saw no reasons why it couldn't or shouldn't because it would control the minds of the public. He even tells you that the the, the elite's reasons for doing so. He said, well, most people aren't happy anyway. What's wrong with controlling them? What's wrong with drugging them or controlling their minds through electronic means or others? Remember, this is the 1960s. And I hear a spot of music coming up, and I'll continue with this after. because the state, the state itself, 
And this is from their own words. The state would be making all the important decisions for you. You wouldn't need it anymore. That's what's been happening. If you look at the inoculations that children get today, and then two days later or a day later, they're given a tremendous fever. The fever is based in the head. It's the, the head where the inflammation occurs. is in the brain itself. If the child recovers, it's lost quite a few of its gray matter already. And then you have the problems with attention deficit or the variations of the strata of attention deficit disorder, which is only variations of autism itself. Autism being the worst type, that's all. Variations of the same thing. And every doctor in this beautiful system is trained in his own generation with new statistics, new theories, to believe that this is all normal. So normal that it takes many years for GPs to figure out, simply by seeing the children come back in the state they're in, that the inoculations have anything to do with it. We are living in very bad times, very bad times where a pathocracy, a pathocracy of psychopaths, interbred, powerful families, dynasties of them, rule the world. We are living in their system. This system of money and, and debt and taxation is their system. They own the entire system. And shortly they will come out and admit this because they have no opposition. When they come out and admit it and they tell us to give up the last vestiges of any kind of freedoms, they will actually ask us to be reasonable about it, to see their point of view. And lo and behold, you'll be shocked to find that many people you'll know will agree with them. I talked to a sister of mine three or four years ago in Britain, and she watches television all the time. She started off the conversation about a, a drug bust two or three doors down from her and how bad it was getting. And I said, well, it's the same the world over. I said, because the, the big agencies, you know, that run our security forces bring the drugs in. She then changed topic and, and said, well, you know, I think personally there's too many people in the world. And she lives in a, a built-up crowded area surrounded by hundreds of square miles of forest and fields. And I said to her, Liz, you've got to stop watching television because you're being programmed to believe what the big boys want you to believe so that you will acquiesce to their demands one day. Maybe you'll go and volunteer to kill yourself to save Mother Earth. People will go along with all these little slogans they hear these rep repetitive slogans, repetition is very important to brainwashing. They've done studies and found that average person must hear the same message a minimum of eight times in advertising before it sticks in their mind. When you see the Condoleezza Rices or any of these characters coming out of their big confabs and then talking to reporters, don't you notice it's odd where they all use the same little slogans like weapons of mass destruction? Weapons of mass destruction over and over.
one by science, including the science of the mind, to give us our opinions, which end up not being ours at all. And here's the music coming up again. I'll be back after these messages. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, playing for John Stadmiller. And I think there's a couple of callers on the line. There's, there's Ed in New Jersey. Are you there, Ed? Uh, yes, thank you, Mr. Watt, for taking my call. Uh, I just want to point out there, you mentioned tragedy and hope. I was very fortunate to get a first printing of that back in the 70s. I have various books here about the conspiracy, and my eyes have been opened for a long time. And certainly, you're a wealth information, and uh, if you add it to my knowledge, I appreciate that. It's a pleasure, yeah, it's a pleasure. Uh, yeah, did you also read the, the book, um, uh, it was called um, The Anglo-American Establishment? Uh, I don't think I read that one. Uh, I got the first one of the early ones I got, uh, reprint, uh, Proofs of Conspiracy by John mm -hmm. Robinson. Yeah. Uh, that one I got, and also uh, the, the other one was... Uh, World Conspiracy by Nikola and Nikolov. Yeah. And uh, the other one was The House of Rothschild by Count Corti. What I want to ask you is a wealth of information in those books and also your knowledge is tremendous. I want to ask you something that I've never heard discussed before, and I hope you can enlighten me. I happen to like classical music, uh, especially the German, great German composers, Bach, Beethoven, Brahms and so forth along the line. Are you familiar with the great classics? Yeah. All right. I want to ask you, have any of these composers been involved, meaning with the conspiracy, helping the conspiracy, or have they been above the conspiracy, meaning uh, they're so intelligent in their composing and their so, gift is so great that uh, they, didn't, uh, they didn't have any... Uh, in experience or any knowledge of, of the of the conspiracy, Adam Weishoff and uh, the Illuminati and so forth, uh, because I'm a great lover of of the Europeans, uh, Russian Shostakovich, Prokofiev, Hungarian Bela Bartok, and so forth. So I'd like to know. I haven't found any information about the great classical composers. Uh -huh. Well, they, they're actually um, most of them joined. Uh, Freemasonry when it came out and that's uh, well published in fact some of the, the great composers were approached to try experimental music to see how it would affect the audience in fact uh, some of um, Beethoven's ones had very discordant music put into them in, uh, intentionally and they brought down these uh, scientific observers to watch the audience to see how they would react when the discordant uh, music was inserted. And they found out by using certain techniques of sounds uh, that they could make the public either very anxious, as though the same kind of feeling you get when uh, if you were to scratch your nails down a blackboard like, or chalk on a blackboard, or they could even get the public to turn on each other and fight each other in the audience, which also happened on a few occasions with experimental pieces. Uh, that happened with uh, Prokofiev, uh, La Sacre du Printemps, the Rite of Spring. There was a riot. That's right. 
Uh, you're familiar with that. That's right, yeah. And, and so, yeah, they, they definitely were, were into experimentation on the behalf of others above them and, and paid to do it, of course. It doesn't mean they, were all, they, they knew all about uh, the conspiracy, but they certainly were aware that they were involved not only in, a, in music, but in an actual science which affected uh, the behavior of people. Well, do you, uh, do you feel that uh, I should change my mind about classical music? I mean, I'm really very emotional about it. I love it, and uh, it, it, to me... It's uh, it's out of this world. Some of it is, is to me is the greatest thing that ever happened in the world. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, it, it paints pictures in your minds with a good piece of music, and uh, you don't even need words to paint the pictures. They they're induced by the particular uh, instruments used in particular pieces. Uh, that's why the Hollywood movies always use. Uh, the horn and so on to do with pirate ships or the sea it induces that picture in your mind so it's, it's a picturesque type music although it's, it's auditory but no there's no reason to stop listening to it uh, I, I myself will cut out uh, the, the, the discordant type music which I knew was for experimental purposes what, what is your computer uh, uh, your favorite composer ah uh, I've got too many <laughs> too many and, and, and like everyone else, too, in the fact that I don't like all of their music, there's certain pieces from each one. Well, I'm saying that, uh, do you happen to go, say, Dmitry Shostakovich or any of the Russian, Tchaikovsky or Rimsikorsakov, or do you leave those composers alone? Um, I like those ones. Uh, uh, I really do like them. Tchaikovsky is good. Um, and I've got a lot of other ones here in my collection. Right, right. Yeah, I have a big collection. Yeah. One other thing, I want to mention that Hollywood made a movie uh, years ago. I have a copy called The Brotherhood of the Bell. And uh, you would say, it would, yeah. it, to me, it should have been titled The Brotherhood of the Illuminati. Uh -huh. It's uh, Glenn Ford is in it and Maurice Evans and what have you about a conspiracy, uh -huh. an old conspiracy. And it's really a terrific movie. And uh, I, I wish they would, uh, you know, uh, play it more often on Turner Classical music, music, uh, Movies uh -huh. because uh, it's an eye-opener. And it's fictional, but... To me, it's about as close of a movie as far as the conspiracy goes that you can get. Well, I think uh, Glenn Ford's son uh, has a foundation, and he sells that movie because his dad was passionate about the conspiracy. It was based on reality. Uh, you, you've that, heard uh, of the movie, right? I've, I've got it. Uh -huh. Pardon? I, I have it. I have it, too. I have a copy. It's an excellent movie, and uh, it's something that... Uh, I'm glad it was done because uh, I show around. One other thing is trying to explain to people about the conspiracy. It's, it really doesn't sink in. I've got a family here that, uh, you know, considers me a little weird, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm standing alone here uh, on this thing, you know. Yeah. But to my forefathers fought in 1776. I'm a member of 31 years of the Sun America Revolution. And I take on that, the chapter yeah. president, Elizabeth Town, the oldest. So I'm going to continue on. Uh, I, my family is not very supportive. That's fairly common. It's very unusual, in fact, to have two members within the same family who've woken up to, to any high degree. 
Yes, okay. I appreciate what you're doing. Continue on, and uh, you're a patriot as far as I'm concerned. Well, thanks very much. Right, bye now. Bye now. Now, there's uh, John in Illinois. Are you there, John? Sam, and um, I just want to tell you that it's a pleasure uh, listening to you fill in for uh, John Selma. I'm a big fan of his, and I've only been listening to him for about a month, so I've been great hearing you yesterday and today. I, I wanted to bring up, a, I just finished reading a book. I took it back to the library today, as a matter of fact, called uh, War Against the Week by Edwin Black. It was published in 2003, and yesterday when you were when you were on the air, it I pulled out that book, and I noticed that all the individuals that funded the eugenics movement in America, which people don't even know existed, they California and Indiana sterilized a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And the, all those foundations and people are still, those, uh, like the Carnegie Foundation and Rockefeller, they're still, they still push the same agenda. Yeah. And the last chapter was... Uh, was called New Eugenics, and in the last chapter, they actually said that they put in that book the author who is a who wrote you know for the New York Times, so uh, said that they put a human embryo in a cow already, and it was just scary. He, he, I guess I'll make one point, and I'll listen to you off the air. But he, he, the, the author's point was that you know fertility, everybody's in you know has fertility problems. And now we're moving into designer babies where if you don't have any money, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to have a child. Yeah. And I, I just wanted what you, uh, if you knew about the book and your point of view on, on that. Yeah. And I, I'll hang up and listen off there. And I just want to tell you, it's, it's fabulous listening to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes, the, uh, the eugenics movement was on the go from Charles Darwin's day onwards more openly. It had always been in the background. People who were in Europe, even even at present times, might have some memories of the, the tremendous class system that was all pervasive in Europe, very open. In fact, uh, it's very much like the Brahministic caste system. Uh, you're, you're born into a particular position, and you, you mind your place, as they tell you, uh, and you keep to your class. Um, the eugenics movement came out of the same... High, it's very high Masonic group, not the lower Masons, they don't know this, but the high Masonic group, the noble orders of, uh, of Europe have pushed eugenics for a long, long time. And, uh, and part of it was uh, a world they dreamed of where there'd be too many of the commoners, the, the inferior types, and they were afraid they'd hit a certain number and, and then they'd take over and, and kill off the elite. That's what they were terrified of. Uh, Charles Galton Darwin wrote about this in his book. Now, Charles Darwin himself was a eugenicist as well. Uh, he, he, although he wrote the, his book, uh, he really wrote his grandfather's book because the Darwin family were practicing eugenics at the time. The only family they married, the Darwins ever married into for five or six generations um, was, was just one other family the Wedgwood family of Britain. And so Charles Galton, Darwin's grandfather, who also wrote about evolution, uh, married uh, a a Wedgwood. Uh, His father married a Wedgwood. And Charles himself married a Wedgwood. And Charles had ten children. And because they were so interbred, uh, eight of them died. uh, And one died in a mental institution. When his wife died, uh, the, the Wedgwood wife, he married his mother's sister, 
another Wedgwood. So they've already been practicing eugenics and interbreeding uh, for centuries, these, these particular family lineages. They weren't the only ones doing this. So when they, they put up their big foundations, and, and these foundations front for the elitist, you see, under the guise of charitable works and doing good, that's their cover. It's always been their cover down through history. It's hard to attack mum's apple pie uh, and see the nasty stuff in the centre. But we have to do it. And look, look behind the curtain. Uh, the Rockefeller Foundation still uh, sponsors eugenics programs across the world. The entire abortion industry is part of the eugenics program. The man who started up the, uh, the abortion in Canada is now working for the United Nations using our tax money in, in third world countries. Uh, Morgan Toller said on national television in Canada that the reason he wanted to, 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 to kill off unwanted children was that they would grow up to be Adolf Hitler's. That was his excuse. That was a psychopath talking. That was his condemnation. So yes, the, the eugenics program is well underway. And even in the days of Plato, who was an aristocrat himself and a member of the secret society of his, his day, uh, said that they would use the its. He didn't call ordinary people people. He called them its, I-T-S. He says we shall breed the its eventually for special made jobs. that They'll be bred for that job, height-wise, width-wise, and so on. Tall ones for picking apples and short squat ones for, for, for mining, mining underground, stuff like that. This has always been the dream of the elite, is to create purpose, made humans for specific tasks. Now they have the sciences to do it. And yes, because they have knocked down all the norms in society, there's nothing normal to compare anything to. The, more, the most acceptable people about all this today are the very young. They think anything is normal, anything at all. So eugenics is a big big part of this plan. Uh, Thomas Malthus, everyone should read his book, uh, his essay on population. He worked for the big British companies, the royal companies, like the British East India Company. He was an economist. And economics is, is tied in with the eugenics movement. You have to have the bankers in because that's their business to project populations in the future and commerce and so on. Malthus advised setting up uh, housing schemes or areas in swamplands and, and, and uh, places like that to kill off uh, the, the, the children that we were born on them to reduce the population of the commoners. He said one, one day there'll be just too many of them and we, we have no use for, for useless eaters. And in his day, at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution for Europe and Britain, they already knew then, they projected that the industrial era would last only about 100 to 150 years, and then they would have no work for these common type people. They'd have to start killing them off by warfare or disease. So this has been well, well discussed in the past. Nothing new under the sun, once again. But the psychopath, you see, if you understand the nature of the elite psychopath, you, you understand how they think, and they're, they're very predictable. In fact, they cannot change. You can't get through and give them empathy for others. 
because they have none. The only thing that they have empathy for are their own offspring because they live through their offspring. They like to pass power on intergenerationally. It gives them a thrill to think that they are perpetual. In a sense, they live on through the children. In olden times, ancient times in Rome, uh, they had the ceremony of the lares, the fire, the sacred fire in the home. Each, each big house of the wealthy elite had the lares fire where they said that was their, that was where their, the spirits of their ancestors dwelt. But they also believed in their own religion that the spirits reincarnated into the, their own family lineage. Not into someone else's family lineage, but into their own family lineage. You find the same thing with the Egyptian pharaohs. Uh, that's because the psychopathic mind that thinks it's so special and powerful, um, they think they are so different from the ordinary people, and they believe that's why they have so much intellect, cunning, and wisdom. It's because it's the same families reincarnating into the same family dynasties done through time. It doesn't mean it's true, but it's the, it's the way that they bolster up themselves for self-confidence. We do live in <laughs> in quite a, a world where, where the ones at the top who have taught everyone else to be atheistic uh, have their own inner religion at the top where really they believe they're gods and when you define what a god is technically they are if a god is all powerful over everything on the, on the planet if a god has the power of life and death over every individual even down to whether you should be born or, or, or whether you should be killed at birth or before birth that's being a god. And so technically, they are gods. We'll be back after these messages. Wasn't that the idea when we started out? At school, that's what they said the Constitution was about. I'm Alan Watts here, standing for John Stadmiller. Please check out my website, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and AlanWattsSentinel.eu. Now, I think we have Chuck in California on the line. Are you there, Chuck? Hi, Alan. It's me again. Uh-huh. Uh, I had a few more questions for you. I, I love to talk to you. You're so knowledgeable. Uh, I'll go through quick, and then I'll hang up. First one, what do you think the future of gun ownership in the USA is? The second one is... Is there any hope for us to fight against them if a war was to break out against uh, anybody that was invading our country? And the third one is, do you think the elites look at the Bible and do things so people will be influenced by that? In other words, you know, the thing where they're in Bethlehem and all this kind of thing. Um, do you think they read the Bible to act out certain things so people will say it's coming to pass? Oh, yes, they, they use predictive programming. And in different countries, they'll use the different holy books of that particular country. For the West, they follow revelations like a business plan, and uh, and uh, they're making it come to pass. They're, they have the abilities to create plagues, famines, we have warfare, and, and science is to, to give us signs in the heavens. We're seeing them at night with the storms they create and uh, the bacterium, the viruses, and so on. All of that's child's play today. 
all done through science and is a very handy tool when a good part of your population will believe it's God's will and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, it makes you apathetic, and that's what it's meant to do. What about uh, guns and fighting them? Militia? Well, I know that they're after the guns in the U.S. There's a very good piece people should look at uh, by uh, Mark Bard, who is a professional journalist. On a, He's writing about a columnist on the New York Times who is talking about um, uh, hyping up the fear uh, to sell newspapers, of course. But Mark Bard has written about this, this particular fear tactic, including uh, trying to get the public terrified of gun owners. And uh, people should look into ParallelNormal.com. That's ParallelNormal.com by Mark Bard, uh, a professional journalist with his, his view on this other journalist of the New York Times who's creating all this fear to, to influence the people. They want the people to be so terrified that they'll demand that everyone gives up their firearms and fight. As far as standing up to, to foreign troops and so on, that would be the will of the people themselves. Personally, I think most people are so controlled today in their own little prisons uh, that most of them would uh, think if the United Nations came in they would be their saviors if there was enough turmoil to bring it on. And that is, again, what uh, you find uh, the big players like Rockefeller said in California years ago. He said that the public will welcome the United Nations in under the right circumstances. They'll come in as your saviors. That was ParallelNormal.com? That's right. Mark, Mark Barr, that's B-A-A-R-D. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, so you think that uh, a lot of religion then is just kind of done by the elites to kind of make people think there's a future and a hope? Do you think that? Uh, that or else even the bad news, uh, if they believe it's God's will, then they won't resist in any way or shape or form. Okay, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye now. And I think that's the end for today. I'm Alan Watkins, and for John Stadmiller, I'll talk to you again whenever I'm called. Bye for now. Take the miracle back We must take the